this is going to be through a four or five week study on the Holy Spirit, and this is an ongoing piece from that. So we're looking at John 14, and if you notice there on the intro, I say, uh, you know, for almost three years, Jesus had been a constant companion. They'd, they'd uh, left everything to follow him, but he was about to leave them. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you lost something that, you, that supported you emotionally, physically, all the things maybe, suddenly lost that? You didn't know it was going, and suddenly it was gone. Anybody have that happen? How did you feel? Lost? Like, what just, you know, what's going on? I'm just trying to put it in perspective. It would be like, you know, maybe losing a parent suddenly when you were younger. Even maybe when you're older, if you're still, if you're still relying a lot on them. But it's that kind of emotional. They've gotten, you know, they're just starting to figure out really who Jesus is all about. He keeps telling them that I'm the Lord. And they keep thinking... What do you think? Well, if you were with them, you know, again, you spent three years, you, you spent three years, because this is later, you know, this is in the upper room, so this is at the end of his ministry. But we can, we can kind of discern based on what we hear, and I think it's the same thing we'd have. There'd be things come along, like, you know, we're in the middle of the water, a storm comes up, and Lord's asleep in a boat, and we go, Lord, are you going to help us here, or are we going to all drown? You know, no matter what he tells them, they continue to think, well, are you really the Lord? Well, I mean, who are you really? You know, I mean, that's just the way we are. Isn't that the way we are in our own faith? We come along, God shows us who he is. Maybe we have a mountaintop experience, and then something comes along to kind of knock our legs out from underneath of us, and we go, Lord, are you still there? Um, it's kind of like the guy, you've probably heard this story, but the guy, you know, falls over the cliff and is hanging on for dear life, and he starts to pray real heavily, and he starts to pray that the Lord would save him, you know, from this predicament. And suddenly a voice comes from above and says, let go of the limb. And he thinks about it for a while, and he looks back up, and he says, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> That's sometimes exactly the way I react. God says, here's what I want you to do. And I go, that's not the answer I was looking for. This, is, I'm sure, is not what they were looking for. The world, the, the Jewish world, was expecting what? What had they been expecting? A savior, but what kind of savior? A king. Somebody to do what? To fight, to, to, to overthrow, at that time, the Roman government. That's what they were looking for. They didn't recognize how he was coming and what his agenda was. So, again, you, you start to look and you go, do I really have the right guy? Um, Lamentations, by the way, I quote there, Lamentations 5.3, it says, We have become orphans, fatherless, our mothers are like widows. This is the collection of songs composed after the fall of the city of Jerusalem, about 587 B.C. And uh, the author is probably Jeremiah, that's who we think wrote Lamentations, but it's a lament about, man, look how bad the condition is. Well, they would have thought the same thing with the Romans, you know, lamenting. Maybe we lament on how bad our political system is or, you know, how bad the economics are or whatever. If we're not careful, we miss in the same way the way they did, the message of what we're here for. It's not to have a perfect government here 
It's not to have perfect economic conditions. It's not to have necessarily an easy life. And we miss the message. And so this is an interesting piece to me because, again, we're given the same promise that they are. So in the background, you know, I walked through a couple things here if you want to take some notes. Uh, Jesus came to reveal God to humanity. Jesus, uh, in John 1, 1, 1, what did he say? The Word was, yeah, the Word became flesh. And then uh, in John 1, 14, this is all through John, by the way. So John, that was John 1, 1, John 1, 14. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's John 1, 29. Uh, so we start off with the Word was God, John 1, 1. The Word became flesh, John 1, 14. The Lamb of God, John 1, 29. And then... John begins to show who he is in the further chapters. He goes, he made himself equal to God. Making himself equal to God. I mean, that's what everybody complained about on the Pharisees, you know. This guy claims to be God, and that's exactly what Christ was doing. John 5, 18. And then he says in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. John 10, 30. And then it comes to the climax in John 14, just ahead of this piece, where he says... No one can come to the Father except through me. I mean, that's really putting yourself up there, right? You guys want to know the way to God? It's through me. Suddenly, the disciples, these 12 that have been very close to him, come to the realization, we really do have God in our midst. We really, I mean, this is unbelievable. And what's the next thing out of his mouth? I'm leaving. And so he yanks the, the carpet off from under him. That's the way it feels like to them. Boy, they're just getting the sense of, we really do have the Lord here. And now he's saying he's leaving. But, he says, I'm going to leave something behind. And that's the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what this lesson is about. And we, we, we look back and we go, were they at all aware of the Spirit? Were they all, you know, had they heard that before? When had the Spirit been talked about up to this point? Anybody think of a time in Scripture up to this point in, in, in Christ's ministry that the Spirit had been talked about? What's an example? Okay, there you go. That, that, that's one I wrote down. Um, that's uh, wrote down in, in John one thirty two again from John. The Spirit, how did it descend upon Him? From heaven like a... Like a dove. So that would have been the Spirit coming down. That's a good example. What's another one? These are all in John, by the way. These are, this is all about John. So, How about the woman at the well? What did he tell her? You, you know, we, we, we worship down the temple. You worship up on the mountain. But I'm here to tell you, those who are going to worship the Father are going to worship in spirit and in truth. Talking about the Holy Spirit there. They're going to have the Spirit in them. Um, and then the last one I wrote down was John 4, 24. And that was the guy that came along to say, what do I really have to do? And who was that man? Nicodemus. What do I really have to do? And what did Christ say? You need to be born again. You need to be born again. And specifically born of the water and the spirit. So born of the water, a physical death or a physical birth but also born of the Spirit, a spiritual birth. You must be born again. 
and he goes, what's Nicodemus say? How can that happen? I've already been born once. How can I be born again? So, again, missing the idea. But those are three good examples. Um, although the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, interestingly enough, ahead of this, he had already alluded to it in John 7.39. So in John 7.39, uh, it says, Out of his heart will flow uh, rivers of living water. And really it was an illusion, or it was a, 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 it was a comment to say, eventually, you guys are going to have the Spirit in you, and out of you will flow these rivers of living water. How can it flow out of me, these rivers of living water? He had talked about it, but they didn't recognize it yet. But again, trying to foreshadow what's going on, that's John 7, 39. So again, some background. So who, let's see, Bob, we'll have you read, uh, as you always do such a good job. Let's start at John 14. G give me, uh, oh, 15 through... Let me see what I want to do here. Go 15 through 20, 21. 15 through 21. Very good. So again, in the, in the upper room, Last Supper, Judas Iscariot's already left. He's already getting ready to betray him. So he's already gone from this. So it's just the 11 left in this setting. And the uh, initial piece he gives here is, in your notes is, I say he gives an initial command. What is that command? What is that command? Love. Love one another. So here's the initial, he says, here's what I want you to think about. Remember that as I and the Father are one, as we're this closeness, as you see the love we have for each other, I want you to love one another also. And it's more than a fleeting emotion. It, it, it really looks at uh, the concept of loyalty and commitment. And it really alludes back to, again, something he said earlier, and it, was, and it recorded over in Matthew. And that was when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And how did he answer that? In Matthew 20, 22. What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But he says, it's all about love. It's all, and we miss the concept, and we don't really truly understand what that love means. We want to put it in a romantic state, or we don't understand... You know how that love can be. As I've always defined it, it's love is 100% giving, expecting nothing in return. God loves us and doesn't expect anything in return. Right? Christ died for us before we did anything. He loved us ahead of time. If we're truly going to love in the same way that God loves us, we must be willing to say, I will love unconditionally, expect nothing in return, 
In fact, I might get abuse back in return from my enemy, but that's not going to stop me from loving you. That's a tough love to have, isn't it? That's what we're really called to. That's a much higher. And that's what he's calling him here. He's saying the same thing. Um, in Deuteronomy, I quote 28.2 there, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. So it's all about this listening to what God has to say and obeying. Christ has commanded that we love. What must we do in response? We must obey. We choose, that's something we choose to do. But again, he's setting them up, saying this is what's really important. If you go, uh, if, if you look at your relationship with the Lord and you, you go, you know, where does this love fit in? I would call it the core. It's the core thing. If you ever get this figured out, you figured out a lot. And it's all, you're always working on it because as soon as you start to really love somebody and they give you grief back, often what's our response? As some kind of retaliation, at least it's a thought in our mind of going, why me, Lord? I'm just trying to help. They're killing the messenger. I mean, all those things. We may do something in retaliation outwardly, but a lot of times it's just inwardly. But that's not what God calls us to. Um, what, is, what is the truth about love? The truth about love from Scripture is that love is 100% giving, expecting nothing in return. And I think I've shared with this class before, remember that truth is what God says. Truth is what God says. Faith, uh, by the way, a grain of truth, learning that truth, either maybe in your own studies or in a study of a Bible study or whatever, that grain of truth leads me to some faith. I start to see it play out. And I step out in faith and say, I want to obey that truth that I've heard. I want to try that. And that step of, uh, that grain of truth leads to faith. And then faith, whereas truth is what God says, faith is what? Believing what God says. Truth is what God says. I can read that. Now faith is my stepping out and saying, I believe that, I'm going to act upon that. Does that make sense? And as you take some steps of faith and God starts to reveal himself, that leads to obedience. And obedience is, whereas truth is what God says, faith is believing what God says. What is obedience? Doing what God says, right? So that's just a night. I was taught that earlier in my, in my uh, Christian walk. I just thought that really fits well. I can understand that. I can see that. So God says, here's truth. I say, okay, I'm going to take a step. God's going to illuminate my path. That's going to lead me to some faith. And that faith is going to lead to more obedience. And that's truly what he calls us to is that obedience. That's how obedience works, though. Obedience isn't just I'm going to grit my teeth and do it. It's no, I'm going to see what the truth is. I'm going to step out in faith towards that truth. I'm going to see what God illuminates. And from that, learn to obey even more. Um, and by the way, maturity as a Christian is nothing more than obedience. And obedience is doing what God says when he says to do it with the right heart attitude. If you want to know how to be mature as a Christian, you take the truth, you step out in faith, you learn to obey, and you learn within that obedience. You think, I'm obeying. 
But you learn it's really all about the right heart attitude. And, and again, I've shared that in this class before. You know, we do that with our children when they're young. And when we teach them to obey, if we can get, just get them to do what we said to do, we think, hmm, okay. And so it's like we come to, to, we come to our uh, son and we say, uh, Timmy, I need you to take the trash out. Timmy says, nope, not going to do it. Okay, so we work on that. Timmy finally realizes he probably ought to take the, the trash out. It's easier than the grief he's going to get, right? So he takes the trash out. So then we come back the next time and we say, Timmy, take the trash out. And what response do we get from him? Okay. And we come back 30 minutes later, and what do we find? The trash. And we go, Timmy, what were you thinking? You said yes. He says, I know I said yes. He says, I just wasn't done with what I was doing yet. I'll get to it. Ah, we got a problem here. You know what the problem with communication is, don't you? The illusion it has been achieved. We think that our son has heard what we said, and he thinks he's heard what he can do. And so Timmy finally realizes, no, I want it taken out when I ask you to take it out. And so we have to be specific. Timmy, I need you to take the trash out now. Okay, Dad, got it. So we come back next time. We say, Timmy, we need the trash out. We need it out now. Okay. Can I wait? I got this thing going on. No, I need it out now. Okay. So then we watch Timmy. And we think, okay, we got Timmy doing what he was told to do. We even got him doing it when he was told to do it. But as we watch his body language, as he's taking the trash out, what do we see? Don't like taking his trash out. It's just, you know, this isn't. And you realize we have a lot longer way to go. He thinks he's obeying, but obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. Now, the question is, is that an amen or an oh me? That's what God that's what Christ was calling his disciples to right here. He's saying, I want you to know this is important. Um, real believers don't just believe, they obey. Believers will always show by their actions their response to Jesus' words. If you love me, you will. So, next thing, verse 16 and 17. As I state here, a wonderful promise. And what's the promise? What's the promise here? Jesus has told him he's only going to be here a little while longer. So what's he promised them? Another advocate. What the word used here is advocate. It's a legal term. It gets translated in other ways. You probably heard it as helper or comforter. Holy Spirit is brought up later. But it starts off as an advocate. And that advocate is the same word used to describe that Christ is our advocate in earlier verses, not just the Spirit. So again, a legal term. But he's saying, I'm really sending you a helper. Um, and it, from the legal standpoint, it talks about someone who goes to court with another to plead their case. That's really what that means. So if you think about it, the spirit is going to be someone who comes along and does several things. But one of the things they're going to do is be our helper to plead our case. We don't have to worry about how somebody treats us anymore. We don't have to worry about what the world does to us. The Spirit is there and pleads our case for us, and we just step back and say, I've got a helper. Now, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's not the way it works in my case many times. I want to jump in there and do something about it. But that's what he's really stating. If you're ever in trouble, Christ is really saying in a general sense, if you're ever in trouble, I'll be there. If you think about it, in the Old Testament, we hear the concept of the Spirit. But how was the Spirit used in the Old Testament time? It was brought on to people sporadically and didn't necessarily stay with them. 
permanently. It came and went. Think of somebody that that happened to. Anybody think about that? Who can think about the scripture talking about it came to them and then left them? King Saul. That's a good example. Yeah, King Saul. Cindy, what did you say? What was Oh, uh, yeah. Samson, another good one. Samson is another good one. The Spirit left him at the end. So we recognize same Spirit, that Spirit of the Lord coming upon them, but it left them. In the New Testament, Christ is saying that Spirit will be coming to all believers and is permanent. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference as a believer. We'll get into that here in a minute. So... Um, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, I give you as an extra verse there in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So somehow we're sealed. That seal is something that happens to us when we come to salvation. We're coming along. We're not saved. We're not saved. God draws us. By the way, conversion, as I've taught another group that I'm working with in my small community group, Conversion is turning towards. Conversion is not actually salvation. Conversion is God draws me. I turn towards him to start to pay attention, to repent, to change my mind about how do I get to heaven, and who does the saving? God does. Not me. Nothing I do, right? So, But salvation is that same idea. Conversion is I turn towards God. He's drawing me. I turn towards him. I believe, and he says, you're saved. I didn't have anything to do with it. He did all the saving. And even better yet, he then says, so that you know, I'm going to seal that deal by giving you the Holy Spirit. It's one of the ways that I knew salvation had come to me. I didn't fully recognize what had happened to me in my early 20s when I came to salvation. But I knew something different, and I look back now and realize I suddenly had this spirit. I Suddenly the Bible started to make sense. I didn't get any smarter. I just had this spirit in me that was beginning to teach me. And again, it talks later in here about that's one of the, the, the things that the spirit does. So does it make sense? Make sense so far? I don't think we, we've thought through all of what happened here and what Christ was doing. I don't think his disciples did either. That's why this is so important. Remember, this is the last bits that he's teaching them. What would you want in the last thing that you're teaching somebody knowing you're leaving permanently? away from them, to be in direct contact with them. And so he goes, this is important. This is all about the Spirit. So the uh, next piece here on the, uh, the assurance by the Son in verses 18 to 24. Um, you are not abandoned. In fact, my going means that you what? When Christ leaves, what's he going to do? What's he heading towards? What's he heading towards? What? Well, yeah, but through what? What happens to him first? The cross. He says, if I don't leave and die on the cross, because it's not just the cross, the death on the cross, what was the amazing thing that happened afterwards? The resurrection. The resurrection proves who he was in the fact that he could conquer death. The resurrection is what's so important to us. And so he goes... If I don't go, you can't live. You can't live. You can't have eternal life unless I'm the perfect sacrifice. Does that make sense? So he's going, you should be begging me to leave. They don't recognize that. That's what he's stating here, though. 
Uh, Galatians 2.20 is the best way, I think, to, to state this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives in me through the Spirit. Um, by the way, I will come to you has drawn multiple interpretations. It could be Jesus' second coming, the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' resurrection. I mean, different scholars want to say different things. I think in the context of what he's talking to the disciples here, he's talking about the resurrection. He's really talking about it because it's the important piece. He says, because I leave, because I am raised, again, you're going to get to live yourself. Um, okay, let's move on. We're going to run out of time. Remember, uh, verse 21 Remember that uh, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And as we tried to teach our children, remember we talked about, let's walk through this real quickly so you guys have this down pat. What is truth? Truth is what God says. What is faith? Faith is believing what God says. What is obedience? Obedience is doing what God says. And from that... Obedience to God's commands always, always, always brings blessings. Obedience brings blessings. If we can teach one thing to the next generation, it's that God will bless. He has promised he will bless. We may not fully recognize that blessing, but obedience brings blessings. And that's what he's saying here. What's he saying the blessing is going to be? The one who loves me will be Loved by my Father. How great a blessing is it to know that God loves me? To know that I'm adopted? That His wrath is no longer against me? Is that a blessing? Do we fully understand that blessing? Um, John 15, 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Luke's, uh, that's verses Luke 6, 46, by the way. Why do you call me Lord and don't... Do what I say. He's given the other side the grief. He says, you call me Lord. Many of you will call me Lord. But on that day, I'm going to say I didn't know you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And yet you don't obey what I've commanded. Again, that really puts an onus on me to say, am I obeying what God has illuminated to me? Not what he's illuminated to you. That's legalism. But what he's illuminated in my life. What he's called me to do. What he's called me to step out in faith to do. Am I obeying that? If I'm not obeying that, I must recognize the consequences of that. And the consequences, number one, I'm going to miss the blessing. And the consequences of that is I'm not going to grow into maturity. And if I'm serious about, Lord, I want to become more like you. God, I really want to, I'm all in. And God's saying, okay, I'm going to show you what all in starts to look at. Now the good news is, God doesn't show you what all in looks like at the beginning. If he showed me what he called me to, I'd probably never walk down that path. God only illuminates that which we're ready for. He's not going to give us more than we can handle. How many of you have walked through something that you said, thank goodness he didn't give that to me earlier in my life? Anybody been that way? That's the way God works. That's why I, I can't lay on you what he's laid on me. If we do, that's legalism. But if he's laid something on you, if he said, I'm calling you to this, then you only have one choice, truly. And that is, Lord, here I am. Just like Isaiah. What did Isaiah say? Say, who will go? What did Isaiah say? Here I am. 
Here I am, Lord. Use me. That's all you can say. I can't tell you what else. I, can. I don't know what he's calling you to in your life. I just don't know. But whatever it is, your best bet is to always say, here I am. I don't know the fully understand how bad the path is going to be, how good the path is going to be, what's going to be on that path, but I'm walking down that path because I recognize that obedience brings blessings. He talks about it so strongly, even in the Old Testament, especially in Deuteronomy. Um, all right, let's move on. Remember, uh, obedience brings blessings. Okay, so we've got that piece. Now, verses 22 to 24, we haven't read yet. Bob, read me 22 to 24, would you? Oh, Bob's not reading. That's what you get, Bob, for trying to walk out. Be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> All right, who else wants to read for me? 22 to 24. This Judas, by the way, is not the Judas we know. It's Judas Iscariot. It is Thaddeus. So right down there, Thaddeus. That's the Thaddeus is spoken about in a couple of other places. But uh, this disciple says, well, you know, why, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Christ answers, interestingly, he answers that question, but not directly. What does Christ say? What's he say? He just repeats what he just said again. What did he say before? What's he say in your scripture there? Obey my teaching. The disciple questions. Jesus clarifies. That's in your notes. That's what I gave you for notes there. And what does he clarify? What did I just state? What does obedience bring? Obedience brings blessings. That's the last blank for you in that piece there. Christ is just saying, don't you recognize that the reason I, I'm showing only to you is because you guys are choosing to obey. And because you're choosing to obey, you get the blessing. You get the blessing of oneness with us and the Father and me and, you know, the whole thing. And this Holy Spirit's coming in. That's this blessing that I keep talking to you guys about. I and you, you and me, and this Spirit that you don't yet recognize how important that's going to be. So he questions it, but he says, really, and in John 14, 2, I quote there too, or in John 15, 4, I'm sorry, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. He thinks it's so important that as soon as he is done with this piece right here, what's John 15 all about? I mean, we, we, we got these chapters because we makes it easier to read, but the chapters weren't there originally. What did Christ immediately go into after he speaks about the Holy Spirit coming? What's 15? The vine and the branches. And we go, oh, yeah, I know that story. Remain in me and I remain in you, you know, that whole thing. He's just reiterating... This is how important this is. Remain in me. Spirit's in you. It's all going to be, to, you know, and, and tie in together. He reiterates this same point in the vine and the branches. It all ties back to this same piece he's talking here. So, if we move forward, purpose of the Spirit. Um, in uh, 25 and 26. Somebody got that they could read to us real quickly here? 25 and 26.
Is that through 26? Okay. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention myself. Um, so the son's present message. He says, here's the things that I've been teaching you up to this point. All this I have spoken while still with you. What things has he just spoken to them in the upper room? Give me some key points to what he's been talking about or, or showing them. What, what was it? Love, okay, that's one. What's it? And, and how did he show love, by the way? He really did it by showing his servant's attitude. How did he show his servant uh, a servant attitude? He just washed their feet. So the love he shows is through this servant attitude. That's one thing. What's another thing he's talking about here? What else does he set up in the upper room? First time they did it. This is my body. Yeah, broken for you. This is the cup of the new covenant. This is the last, or this is the, uh, the, uh, the communion dust. The last supper or communion. So he shows them communion, the, the Lord's Supper. Uh, and in a servant's heart, and let's see, I think I wrote another one down. Oh, yeah, yeah, the one we're talking about today. What's he then talk about? The advocate. Yeah, the coming of the advocate, the Holy Spirit. So these are the things I've spoken to you. And he says, now let me tell you also what's happening in the future ministry of this Spirit, this Holy Spirit. And what is the future ministry? What's our scripture tell us? What two things can we glean out of here? What will it do for us? Teach us. That's one. And what's the other one? Remind us. Now, he's speaking to the disciples. And what are the disciples getting ready to have to do, but not for decades yet? What happens decades from now to John, to Matthew specifically? What do they have to do? What are they called to do in part of their ministry? No, not. What do they do? They give us. They give us the New Testament. They got to write down Matthew. They got to write down John. They got to write down uh, Mark. By the way, Mark, Mark is nothing more than what Peter says. So everything that Peter remembers, Mark is following him around and writing that down. Think about it. If you thirty years from now had to write down what you'd heard today from Steve. How well would you do? Have you ever thought about how inspired they must have been? How the Spirit, and he's telling him, I'm giving you this Spirit to remind you and to teach you. In the same way, when we get hung up, and we're sitting there and having to explain something, or think through something, or face a difficulty, or maybe somebody comes to us with some counseling question, and all of a sudden, a verse pops back up into our mind. Where does that come from? That does not come from my intelligence or my memory. I guarantee it doesn't come from my memory. It may come from Terry Fakes' memory, but it does not come from my memory. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's how this works. That's what this is all about. If you look at kind of a bottom line, God promises not to abandon His people. You need to look up those scriptures. I gave you the scriptures there, right? Joshua 1 and Hebrews 13, 5. Is that in your notes? Okay, I want you to look that up this week. Even though we walk through a dark valley, our shepherd is with us. That, Psalm 23, you know that one. And Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to be sent as God's own presence within us. Are we ever abandoned? Are we ever abandoned? Not ever. If you walk away with one thing today recognize how important Christ saw this to his disciples, how important it is to us that we recognize that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit is within us also. Recognize 
that we still have our old man, our old sin nature. You know, Ephesians 4.22-24 says, You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being constantly corrupted by its evil desires, and be made new in the renewing of your mind, and to be put on your new self. Well, what is the new self? When we're come to God, what's the new self given to us? The Holy Spirit. What's our old self? Our old sin nature. The old sin nature is still there. It's like an old coat. We can choose to put that old coat on and we'll end up sinning. Or we can choose to put the new coat on, which is the Holy Spirit, and we won't sin because it's in true righteousness. Does that make sense? That's what this is really all about. This is a start of thinking through what do I have in my own life that is so cool that, no, that the world does not have. The natural man, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, the man who does not know Christ, cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. We have the Spirit. We'll continue next week with some more stuff about the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week.